3: particularly at this time of year, but in our industry to hear such a major name uh, that we lost recently.
4: Yeah. And in fact, a couple as uh, uh, listeners to our morning show may be aware, uh, you know, the name Tom Fody, certainly from CBS News, from many, many reports that we've had of his over the years. He died over the weekend at age seventy seven. And we found out just prior to the weekend that Ian Punnett had died. Uh, Ian Punnett, uh, longtime uh, fill-in host on Coast to Coast AM and just an incredible radio talent, but also an incredible educator. Uh, We lost him over the weekend as well. And Andrew Smith joins us, uh, who is the, if I get the title right, the assistant director of the A.Q. Miller School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Kansas State University. And Andrew Smith, uh, welcome into the program.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I certainly appreciate
4: it. Absolutely. And what I want to start by having you just give us a little bit of the history of your relationship with Ian Punnett and what do we need to know about him that we don't?
2: Well, you know, Ian uh, was a, a, an amazing advocate and just a great uh, person, particularly for students, uh, as we talk about it here at, at K State. He was the chief operator of our tele- of our radio station, KSDB FM, Wildcat 919, and. Uh, and was also just a, an amazing mentor for these for these students. I mean, his work in the in the broadcast industry kind of speaks for itself. A national radio host, he hosted uh, shows and morning shows in Minneapolis and Chicago, and you know was on WGM and was on you know a lot of lot of big big time places that you that you've heard about. But more than that, he was a humanist, and so he was just so loved humanity and people, and uh, and really was uh, somebody whose students could get advice from and understand uh, and led the the radio station, the student radio station to a national championship last year from the, uh, the intercollegiate broadcasting systems named it as the top student station uh, in the country. And, uh, and that was a goal of his within five years to win a national championship as a radio station. And we did it. And it was really his drive and his mentorship for the students uh, that did, that was able to do that. But more than that, just an amazing, person. And, uh, you know, whether it was helping a student out in uh, in a pinch with counseling or, you know, or I always used to joke about the uh, the IPG, the uh, Ian Punnett grants that that, that seemed to go out to students when they needed something. <laughs> uh, you know, he was just always there for for the students. And that's one of the I think the toughest things right now is for the you know students, young people who don't deal with a lot of loss uh, for People that are super close to them other than family members are really having to deal with that now because it's such an integral part of the K-State family and of the the people who are there.
3: And I want to come back to in a second, um, particularly for listeners who may not be as familiar with that role of advisor to the student radio station, the importance of that, because I started my career at a student radio station at a college. I want to come back to that in a second. But first, I want to give Colin, our producer, uh, who also was kind of instrumental in getting you on with us, but uh, give you the floor here for a second to talk more about it, too.
5: Yeah, Andrew, I just want to say, good to hear your voice uh, for the first yeah, time pal, in, in Louisville. Well. Yeah, yeah. Ian, uh, I think for me personally, I wouldn't be where I am right now, working, doing what I do right now without him or some influence from him. He was very integral uh, in my development into radio. And and I don't know, it's, it's hard to put into words uh, – like like you said, Andrew, you know, for, for younger people like me who haven't had a lot of loss or, or anything like that, this one hurt. Uh, this one hurt a lot. I, I got a call from Ian about two weeks ago, uh, and we talked for a little bit. He updated me on the situation, um, but that was the last time I talked to him, and that was, that was, you know, a bit bittersweet. He told me how proud of uh, me he was in our last conversation, and then about a week later— or a week and a half later is is when he passed. But yeah, he he meant a lot to me in in terms of my radio uh, career so far. Early on, as, as it is, but yeah, he helped me a lot. I think I, I wouldn't be where I am right now without him.
2: That's that generosity of spirit, of compliments, of t- of uh, of time, of saying, "Hey, let's let's work through this and get this right. Let's teach you a skill. Let's, let's let me give you some feedback. Let's let's get you up to up to par." And a lot of students, I think, feel feel that same way about uh, about Ian that he see he was able he was one of those rare guys that could see the end from the beginning he could see the the, uh, the the difference between potential and reality and get you from one to the other which is a rare skill
3: we have a lot of people in our business that are very very good broadcasters it's harder to find people that are also really good teachers <laughs> of broadcasting <laughs> Talk about how good he was at doing both.
2: Well, and and that is a uh, uh, we we talk about those who are able to really communicate and are excellent at that kind of uh, radio broadcasting or, or those other pieces, and that sometimes that doesn't translate to then being able to prop other people up and be able to dissect it and be intelligent enough. And this was a very intelligent guy, uh, be intelligent enough to. Uh, to know why he was successful and to then be able to formulate it and form, and make that so that he could then to give that to students and then uh, and then look at their specific talents and say, well, here's where you shine. And here's where it's going to be your, uh, your greatest ceiling, your highest ceiling. And that uh, having both of those skills, we've seen this in sports all the time, right? A great, somebody who's great at playing a sport, who's a lousy coach. <laughs> yeah. we, see that, we see that a lot. Right. And so, We it's hard to it's hard to be able to cross that line to go from this really ego driven (laughs) uh, medium of you know that you have to have that self confidence to then turn that around and make that all about somebody else and it was that generosity of spirit and that generosity of everything from from Ian you know he was just inducted in the Kansas Association of Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Uh, about two months ago and uh, was also given the Distinguished Service Award at that time, which came with an induction to the Hall of Fame. And that was really a, a, an amazing career capper in, uh, in those t- the melding of those two things, the skill of the broadcasting as well as the generosity of education and being able to help those who are starting out in the business and help them find their way.
4: You know, this is something that I wasn't going to go off in this direction, but we just got a text in from one of our listeners that I wanted to have you talk a little bit about as well. Because sure. uh, somebody said, he's my favorite host, a theologian with a realistic view. And that uh-huh, piece yeah. of it, he had a divinity degree, did he not? Yeah, absolutely. Did. Yeah. And and that's something I, that yeah. you know we it, it can be hard for all of us I think at times to take that role of of a not that I'm I'm not a journalist that he was, but to take that role and say, okay, I have, you know, Paul Harvey, I think is a great example of this. I have sure. innate biases, whether they be religious, political, whatever. I have things that are my view of the world. I can't let that get into or, or affect my job. Talk a little bit about how he wrote that line.
2: yeah and that was part of the, 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 his genius was this uh, he had this background and his base beliefs and his base feelings but it was in, in accepting that others think differently he was able to then take those and then create a worldview and a uh, and a uh, the person that you listen to on the radio was him and that, that that is I think also sometimes a little different in our industry is that sometimes, those who are on these national stages, well, that's who they are on, on the air, and this is who they are off the air. But he, he brought all of those things in that worldview and that background, that paradigm, all of those pieces, he brought forward with this humanistic, realistic view of, of how the world works. And so uh, they, he, he got a theologian, a, 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 an ecclesiastical degree, and, you know, worked in a church for a while, um, wasn't an active pastor at this time, uh, you know, his nickname online is Deacon Punnett, you know, but, um, but he was able to take that, those pieces and, uh, and connect. And it was all about the connection, the connection with people. And so what made him such a great coast-to-coast Coast host was connecting not only with his, the, the guests that he had, which is this, this huge, wide-ranging Renaissance man kind of a, 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 a knowledge base, but then also connecting with the listeners and the people that called in and the regulars and all of those, things, that, that he was able to, to bridge all of those little gaps, and, and that came from – uh, that that background, uh, in part, that he had, and that love of love of man and love of, of people, and that that was really special.
3: I'm curious to know how he became associated with K State. It sounds like a really good get for K State yeah. to be able to have a name like that teaching there. How did he yeah. end up at K State, and and the impact that he made there? Are there students that went to K State because he was there?
2: Yeah, it was it was a great pull for us. <laughs> we yeah. Were, I had just come out. I, I, my background is I did 25 years of local television sports. And uh, I've been only here for 18 months when uh, I got a note from, uh, from him. He, had, uh, he suffered from tinnitus, and, which, you know, in the radio business is a tough, tough one. Uh, you know, the constant ringing of the ears. Sure. And so, so he retired from regular radio. Uh, you know, he was still doing, uh, doing Cursed Coast. And went back to school and got a doctorate from Arizona State University. And he decided at that point that he was kind of done doing the daily radio grind and he was going to now move into education. And uh, we were one of the places that he had uh, that he had applied. And it turned out that his advisor at uh, at Arizona State had been my advisor 25 years earlier when I was in college. And so we connected and uh, and then. And that really kind of started the, our relationship, he and I. But then that then uh, gave us a, a, a good way to be able to, uh, to really understand who he was, and he could understand who we were. And then he said, "Well, look, I, I, this is where I, this is what I want to do, and where I want to be." Uh, and we did uh, we did a lot of recruiting. He and I did we were partners. in our, so I run the TV station here, you he runs the radio station. Uh, we partnered in recruiting, and a lot of our a lot of the students that came here you know show up and do a recruiting visit and go oh wow so we've got two professionals who are running all of this and particularly a guy that is still in that national spotlight well that's fantastic and and so there were a lot of students who did make their decision to come to Kansas State University because of the background of uh, of those who are advising the media which is you know that and that's again very that's a great testament to Ian and what his career was but also um, also who he was. You know, you, you met him. If you went and met him, you went, oh, that's a guy that I want to associate with. That's a guy that can help me. That's a guy that I need to learn from. That was the kind of mentor he was. So yeah. Yeah, so it worked out great for all parties.
4: Sad loss for K-State and a sad loss to all of the listeners as well. Um, yeah. Gone at age 63. And Andrew Smith, thank you so much for joining us and talking a little bit about the career of Ian Punnett.
2: My pleasure. Always uh, always happy to talk talk about Ian. It was a uh, a great man and uh, one of my best friends. You got
4: it. All right, take Thanks, care. Man. And uh, yeah, condolences to you as well. I mean, Jamie, you know, when you read a line that says his career in spoken word radio started in 1994 at Chicago's WGN AM, of all
3: started there.
4: Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. That's like <laughs> saying, well, his career as a chef started at a three-star, he was three, three Michelin-star right. restaurant. Yeah, you don't just walk into WGN and start your career there, and he did.
3: Yeah, and it's interesting too, and and we can open up phone lines if you want to talk more about this, but, and we didn't get into this with Andrew, but I don't, um, I think that idea of having a mentor in your professional life is not something we hear about as much anymore. And John, I don't know if you had one, it's particularly important for this industry because so much of what we learn is on the job and not as much, K-State being the exception, not as much of it, we don't learn that in school as much as we used to. If you um, have actively like decided to be that for somebody else or you have had one, we don't talk about that as much. It, mentors aren't a thing as much as they used to be, and, I, and I, I don't know why.
4: No, and it's clear that we need them. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in every profession, really, but it's clear that we certainly need more people like Ian Punnett. Unfortunately, they, are, they seem to be at a premium.
3: <clears throat> Absolutely. Nine one three five eight six 586 right, still to come this hour, I thought I was bad at baking. I didn't do this. We'll talk about what this Japanese bakery did coming up here on KMBZ. Back here on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, So I think the statement here that uh, this bakery had betrayed the expectations of many is probably an understatement. When we talk about what the order was for and what the customer got.
4: <laughs> it's a Japanese bakery called Takashimaya, and they they had 2,900 strawberry cakes that were ordered during the run-up to Christmas that were uh, out of that 2,900. Uh, 807 of them were damaged on arrival, and they have issued an apology over this. I mean, they, they just, when they say damaged, we're talking about cakes that were collapsed and just, they were a mess. They were an
3: utter mess when they got to where they were going. Photos shared on social media showed sliced strawberries sliding off melted icing, <laughs> messed up chiffon layers. And uh, some of these, I- I'm using the word collapsed literally. I mean, it fell. Yeah. It, it It just, it fell on top of itself. Uh, In one case, the cake arrived in a collapsed state, which they then tried to camouflage with fruits and chocolate sprinkles, (laughs) like they would do on MasterChef. This is what has happened on a Gordon Ramsay show more than once, where you make a thing, you get the, the science wrong, or you slip. On the, on the wet floor and it collapses, but you gotta present a cake so you fill the rest in with whipped cream to give it a shape. That's exactly what they did.
4: Yeah, and that apparently wasn't good enough for a lot of the people who had ordered these things. And so, I mean, when the pictures started to show up online, Immediately, it just went crazy with you know people saying they would see one of these things and go, you know what, mine showed up that way too. And it just snowballed. So it's obviously very embarrassing for them. They said that they failed to meet expectations or, pardon me, betrayed the expectations yeah. of many. That's some pretty harsh self-criticism. But these things, by the way, were not terribly cheap either. Uh, they cost about $38 a piece.
3: There is no doubt a fight happening right now Mm -hmm. between the company that made and froze the cakes and the separate company that handled the delivery. Yes. Were they collapsed before they went to the delivery company? Or did the driver take turns going 75 miles an hour (laughs) and not care? And that's where all the cakes collapsed. An internal investigation has failed to determine. Why the cakes arrived in various stages of collapse.
4: Yeah, but when you said that they tried to repair some of them, that to me says that they were in rough shape before they left the bakery. And knew it and yeah. tried
3: to fix it as if no one would notice.
4: Right. Um, and they go on to say, and I wasn't aware of this, I guess we can kind of you know piece this together, but they said only about 1% of the population of Japan is Christian, but they celebrate Christmas anyway. You know, they uh, they yeah. said many in the country celebrate Christmas by exchanging gifts and sharing festive meals with loved ones. So in case you were wondering why they were able to sell 2,900 Christmas cakes in Japan, there's your answer. I
3: want to know more about this bakery because I want to know why for that many cakes to be ordered from one company says that company's pretty re- re- reputable. And it's a luxury department store, they said, is where this bakery was. So... It must do a pretty good job to get that many orders for Christmas.
4: Um, I'm looking online now to see what I can find about them. Unfortunately, most of the websites that are related to that bakery <laughs> are in Japanese, which well, I know is a personal failing that I can't read Japanese, but I can't.
3: <laughs> so, not one of the many skills in the, in, yeah. in the toolbox. No, no, no. Um, don't have that one yet. Again, all I can picture are all the all the food shows that I've seen where they drop a cake. They slip, yeah. they drop a cake. They forget baking whatever it is in it that makes the cake rise. And they try to just make up for it instead of calling the customer and saying, Hey, we really, we blew this one. Mm -hmm. So sorry.
4: Yeah. What they're going to do to make it right. I guess still remains to be seen as well. Uh, I would imagine a lot of refunds are probably coming along with the official apology. But if you, (laughs) I guess if you're in Japan listening to the program, first of all, welcome. (laughs) Thank you for using the Odyssey app. Happy to have you. And we're really sorry. Your Christmas was ruined by a bad
3: cake. I just love that it was so many and I hope we find out exactly I hope it was the delivery driver yeah that was just out having a good time in that truck and (laughs) and everything just kind of fell all over the place all right coming up we have to talk about something I just saw on Facebook I follow some of the um area Facebook pages for some of the groups and I follow one from North Kansas City and I laughed because of the warning that somebody just put up about what somebody did at a gas station that I have done and I don't think I'm the only one we'll talk about this coming up here in KMBZ Couple stories to get to out of the Northland here. Uh, coming up, we'll talk about the story about the shoplifting sting, which might be <laughs> using a big word that <laughs> perhaps doesn't fit here. Yeah. Um, but I laughed because I follow, speaking of the Northland, I follow the uh, KC North news and info page on Facebook. It's awesome. It's it's gossip, it's, it, it's just full of great stuff. And it had this on there. uh, I think this is from over the weekend. It showed up. I don't know which gas station needs to know, but someone took off with the hose and pump still in their tank, (laughs) heading towards Parkville. (laughs) You laugh, but Uh this is a mistake you only make once in your life. And once you do this one time, you forever, and I still do this. I was probably in my early twenties when I did it. Uh One time you forget to put the pump back and You you yeah. Forget, and you, you drive off,
4: sticking out of the, <laughs> out of the gas, out of the gas. And filler it detaches
3: hole. from above. Now, it, did, it pulls down.
4: When you did it, did it? Did they have the quick disconnects yet?
3: Yeah. It was like up on the roof. You know, it, it was really high. Yeah. But it, it detached on its own, and I think I don't think I got out of the parking lot. I think I heard something right away, and knew before I left the parking lot. I can totally picture where I was. You feel like the biggest dummy <laughs> in the world when I'm you have sure. to go up and go inside and tell them, hi, sorry. We've all done it once, and I still to this day check, like double check and look to make sure I put it back. Yeah,
4: Uh, and there was a time before that quick disconnect existed, and I wonder how many of those things that they have to go through before, mm-hmm. before somebody invented that thing and say, you know, if we just make the hose pull apart then right. you know, on its own, then we can just put them back together as soon as the person brings it back. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good day when you, when you hear that noise. I've never done it. I've seen it happen. While I was at the gas station, you know, filling up my car, I've yeah. seen somebody else drive off and do it. Thankfully, I have been able to avoid <laughs> that particular embarrassment so far. But, hey, there's still time. So
3: whoever you are, if this was you, don't feel bad. <laughs> yes. Most of us have done this at some point. And I don't know why. You I, I I don't know. It's rare that I go inside the building, the store wherever I am. Usually I just pay at the pump and I just stay there while the car is filling up. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. it must have been one of those rare occasions where I walked inside or, or or got back in my car while I was filling up or something like that and yeah, you only do that one time.
4: I'll bet somebody just texted in and said, I work for a petroleum company. This happens every day. I get at least two calls for like this every day. And, uh, you know, what I wonder is, like, do you remember? You say you could remember where you were. Per, exactly. My, my conception remember. was that it probably happens a lot more during the winter months when you're sitting in the car and it's cold and you're just you know trying to, or you go into the convenience store or whatever because it's cold and you don't want to stand there. And you yeah. come back out and just absent-minded, you're in a hurry, you're trying to get somewhere, maybe get the Christmas shopping done, and then all of a sudden, oh, no.
3: <laughs> Where's Sam when you need him? I assume this has happened at QT a lot. Oh, uh, I assume yeah. he has seen this happen a lot. I'm curious to know for the person that works at a petroleum company, what call you get about it? Yeah, do what's they the need, phone call that you get? Do they
4: need you to go and hook those things back up, uh, or is it you know is it something that that anybody can do as soon as you see that?
3: Sam just texted. Okay, Sam, text back. What what should you do? Sam just texted. Appreciate that he listens yep. on his way in. Happens all the time. He says most people don't say anything about it. They just hang it back up like nothing happened.
0: <laughs>
4: oh, that's great. So, the, so it's still disconnected. I mean, the, the hose is still in two pieces, mm-hmm. but they'll just put the thing back and hang it up on the hook.
3: So are we supposed to go? I went in. I fessed up Good. and said I was the dummy that did it. And so I, I assume that's what you're supposed to do. It's funny. A bunch of you were saying, no, we haven't all done that. Somebody said in <laughs> all caps. I don't know about this happening with any of my friends ever.
4: Wow. Okay, well.
3: I mean,
4: I guess your friends are a little bit more attentive than the average. But if the people who work in the industry say, yes, it goes on all the time, then I mean, of course not everybody has done it. Like I said, I haven't done it, but I was
3: there to see it happen once. Okay, so that's what, Colin, have you ever done it? Have you ever left the, he's like, no, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, because I'm not efficient
5: at what I do.
4: You've also only been filling in, cars up with gas out. for seven years, dude. <laughs> that's true. <laughs>
5: that's
3: that's true. also
5: a very good point. Sample size is not uh, as large yeah. as yep. some others. Like I said, even with me, there's still time.
3: Okay, so one out of three of us has done it. I mean, that's, you know, that's a pretty I also, good.
5: like, do you guys, how, how do you wait? while the car's filled cuz obviously you can you can do the little the little hook thingy and it just fills up on its own and you have to hold yeah. the pump the whole time do you guys stand there and wait or do you get back in the car or do you go inside cuz i typically if it's, if it's nice weather, I'll just stand there and wait.
4: I typically will go inside because almost always my giant cup full of QT iced tea is empty. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to go in and refill that. And I can do it while the car's filling up. The other thing I think that may save me, especially because with our main car, it's electric. So that's not a worry. But with my old one, with the 57, it has a locking gas cap. So okay. I need to do things. Mm -hmm. before I drive off. And and one of them is put the gas cap back on and make sure that it's locked and all of that stuff before I drive off. So I can't put the locking gas cap back on if the pump's still in there.
3: I'm usually cleaning out the car. I'm usually... Like, I have a little dustbuster thing. Oh, yeah, okay. That stays in the car. Usually I'm using those two minutes or whatever to... There's always stuff that needs to go in the trunk. There's always garbage. There's always pull out some wet wipes and like i'm using those couple of minutes to um to clean it up
4: (laughs) like this somebody texted and says i was on a police ride along and the officer almost left with the hose still in (laughs) whoops uh yeah nobody's immune
3: okay texter says you're not supposed to leave the vehicle unattended when filling it with gas
4: uh i do anyway
3: then why do they have the automatic thing where you can just set it so it'll just fill up yeah i mean without you standing there who says i'm not supposed to
4: I actually got yelled, about, yelled at about that one time by a guy who told me it was illegal. It isn't. To leave it there? Yeah, because I went into the store to you know to fill up my my iced tea and all of that. Actually, Diet Coke at that point. And went walking back out, and some dude in Indiana was just incensed about it. He's like, that's against the law. <laughs> no, it isn't. And, wow. and
3: my response was, are you a cop? And he just kind of got frustrated and walked off. I, mean, I guess the answer was no. Sam, is yeah. it against the law? Uh, sam texted back and said here's what you do had it happened twice in the same shift on the same pump one day <laughs> we have to call text to come out and fix it okay we would appreciate it if you would let us know okay that way they know to fix it well otherwise said. what's going to happen is the next guy to pull up at that pump to try to get gas there is going to notice it and say hey wait a minute the hose is on the ground and then that guy has to go in and tell him yeah they're going to think it was that guy. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes. Well, you know, whatever you did, just you <clears throat> take that. Oh, and by the way, never. It, it, this this happened to my wife, which is why I'm saying this. This is another thing that's kind of related to that. There, there was a scam going on for a while, and I'm sure it still is. That uh, there was a gas station in South St. Louis, just south of downtown, where there was no attendant. There was nobody there ever. It was purely self serve. And what, So, you know, Jim was there filling up one day. And this kid walked up, a young guy, started a conversation, just, oh, hey, how are you? Nicest guy in the entire world. And so she's a friendly person, talking back and forth with him. And uh, and the pump stopped when the car was mm-hmm. full. So he was like, oh, let me get that for you. And got it and pretended to put it back and didn't. She and drove put it off. in his own? No, she drove off and a line of 10 other cars came through. We got hit for $175. Wow before it automatically stopped
3: wow okay there are two things coming in on the text line feel free to call 913-586-7798 i didn't think this was going to be a topic of conversation but here we go a couple of you are telling stories of when the automatic little lever thing didn't turn off and it just kept going and going and going and gas spilled everywhere Okay. okay many of you are saying that there are signs on the pumps saying you're not supposed to leave them unattended. Again, what's going to happen to me if I do? <laughs> you know,
4: I love rules people make up. It's just like that's the rules. You can't. Yeah, I can. Uh and, and
3: you can be charged for hazmat cleanup if you leave it unattended?
4: If it fails, I'll take, like if the auto shutoff I'll fails? I'll take I'll take that chance. Um and the other thing is with the with the Plymouth You If you try to turn the pump all the way on, it'll stop automatically. Just the way that the filler valve is on that, or the the filler neck uh, on the gas tank, you have to have it on the lowest setting. Otherwise, it's just, it's going to stop. So I always put it on the lowest setting. Usually by the time I come back out to the car,
3: it's just finishing up. Wow. Um, Okay. I never leave it unattended, but I also don't worry about it overflowing. Yeah. I've never had that happen. I've never had it not turn off on its own. I mean, if if you don't then then don't, but <laughs> you know, I I'm not I'm not likely to change my habits over this. You all know a lot about this. If you spill over 30 gallons, the fire department has to show up.
4: How long are you in the store?
3: Yeah, that's a long time to be gallons? leaving it. Wow. To be leaving it unattended. All right, if you have stories feel free 913-586-7798 we'll take a break uh we will stay in the northland here uh, we will talk a little bit more about this shoplifting sting we'll get to that coming up here in kmbz All right. in the weeks running up to christmas there was a lot of talk from local police about trying to catch shoplifters we just have talked so much about retail crime And about, you know, people walking out the door with things. And there was talk about um, the plaza, about really looking at trying to crack down on that. There was also some effort in the Northland.
4: (laughs) Yes, there was. And under the headline, uh, thanks to Channel 9, KCPD holiday shoplifting sting sees success in the Northland. And then you read the article and found out that they arrested two people. Okay.
3: Did those two (laughs) people have a lot of stuff? I guess. Was it a big... One, one of them w-
4: was arrested for other felony warrants, which is good. I mean, you, you caught okay. somebody that you were looking for anyway. Uh, and they said, I think the other one was a frequent shoplifter at one particular store. So they busted that guy or girl or whatever uh, because they were well known to the employees. And they said, yeah, that person has been a problem before. And they went ahead and booked him. Now, they did say that they got hundreds of dollars of st- uh, stolen merchandise back for retailers, which makes me think they probably actually caught a lot of people. They mm-hmm. just let them, most of them off with a warning if they didn't have any other priors, if they didn't have arrest warrants or something like that. They they busted them. They probably yelled at them a little bit and made them take the stuff back to the store.
3: I don't like that.
4: I'm not crazy about it either. This is the problem. This is what
3: we talk about yeah. is, okay, they don't get to keep the stuff, but they're not going to be arrested. Yeah. Okay, feel free to go do it again.
4: Yeah, right. And and if you're gonna do a sting, then it's gonna be less effective as a deterrent for next time if you don't put them through something that's hard to do. Now, I'm assuming that. I don't know that it doesn't say that in the mm-hmm. story that they let a lot of people off. But if they're gonna say, Well, this was a success and we got hundreds of, you know, dollars worth of stolen merchandise back <clears throat> and we arrested two people, well, I've got questions about the level of success there.
3: Did you say there was a second oh there was two art two arrests? I thought there was yeah. a second article. Yeah. Um I mean, two is better than none. Yep. Um, This was in the Northland. So I haven't heard anything about the plaza. Have you? In the last few days about what they caught. Um, I'm a little curious about that because they were really, they were really focused on it. And in fact, Gene Peters Baker, uh, Jackson County prosecutor, was quoted in a story somewhere saying, we're really going to focus on more, you know, and I bring it up because, Many of you have criticized local prosecutors saying you're not doing enough. The reason we have all these problems is because you don't care enough about it. Yep.
4: Now, uh, somebody just texted in and said, and this is accurate, up to a certain level of stuff that you steal. It it depends on how much dollar amount. But they said it's a misdemeanor. They get what essentially amounts to a traffic citation. It's that same level of punishment. So you get a court date. You have to show up. You probably pay a fine or court costs or something like that. And I'll go back to what we said initially. I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's gonna if, if you're trying to stop somebody from
3: shoplifting again, giving them a court date and finding them 100 bucks isn't gonna do it. And the jail is full. Yeah. So then we have a conversation about jail space. right.
4: But yeah, I mean, giving them an arrest that's gonna have a record might have mm-hmm. a little bit better shot at people taking it seriously, if they find out, yeah, it's gonna be harder for me to get a job now.
3: Especially if you're gonna put the manpower into catching them anyway. I mean, a store can use private security and catch them and decide not to prosecute. Yes. If you're gonna put the manpower into police to catching them, catch them, do a thing. Catch them and do more than wrap them on the knuckles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, BBC had this next story um, I did not know that the origin of this was this guy from Australia. I
4: didn't either. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad because I was as uh-huh. surprised as you are. It was just, I love people that have weird nicknames and, mm-hmm. you know, weird appellations that are ascribed to them. And this guy has one of the strangest ones. He just died on Christmas day, as a matter of fact, at age 54. Um, his, uh, his name is Bill Granger and they call him the godfather of avocado toast. <laughs> he was the, the guy king of
3: breakfast yeah, they said.
4: He was he's the guy who kind of started the whole deal. Uh this was, you know, Instagram posters and things like that that are crediting him with being the one that that really you know, jacked up the popularity of avocado toast. So hipsters everywhere are mourning the death of uh, the godfather of avocado toast Bill Granger.
3: To give the guy credit, he actually, I mean, if you look at his bio, it's, it kind of seems like that's what he's known for. But he actually had a really big deal career as a chef. Yeah. Which when makes- you look at places that he worked and, you know, he dropped out of art school, opened his first restaurant in Sydney. That's a tough market when he was 23. I mean, won the Australian equivalent of the James Beard Award and things like that that we have here. So, but that's the thing that he became known for. Yeah.
4: And he said he recommended using an avocado that had been left to ripen for two to three days before scooping it out of the skin with a tablespoon in one smooth movement. Uh, And then he said it should then be chopped into egg-shaped chunks. Just crush it on the sourdough toast yourself and always serve with citrus, lemon or lime, and good sea salt and coriander for freshness. So according to the godfather of avocado toast, that's how you do it.
3: And health food aficionados everywhere (laughs) picked that up and decided that was like the ultimate in health. Once avocado became known for the good fat, the kind of fat that you're supposed to have, that suddenly became the breakfast of champions
4: for everybody. So I I have never in my life had avocado toast. Never. I don't like avocado. I'm not a big fan either, which is why I've never tried it. But yeah, I guess uh, it became a thing. And it was apparently a much more recent thing than I had thought um. Yeah, his career began in 1993, but it was in an interview that he did with the BBC in 2019. So that's only four years ago where mm. they were asking him about this. So I guess it was probably a few years before that, that he really started championing this.
3: Yeah, the thing I appreciate about this, too, is that Australia is not known for its food. Yeah, it's it's not. It's one of those places that just isn't it, it has good food, but it's not known for it. And he, the other name to come out of Australian food is, I'll never think of it. Somebody knows who's the Australian chef that's married to an Asian Sorry, actress. I,
4: I can't help you. <laughs>
3: Curtis Stone.
4: <laughs> oh, Curtis okay. Sorry.
3: Right. He's the only other big name to come out of Australian food. This guy was the one that apparently pioneered whatever we know to be Australian cuisine. Right. Yeah. And and that's
4: that's a funny thing because if you ask me, what is Australian cuisine? <laughs> Uh, I know two things. I know shrimp on the Barbie because of that movie from a zillion years ago Mm -hmm. and and Vegemite. And that's really about it.
3: Yes, I could name for you like strange dishes that I had and animals that I had and and things like that, but nothing that. But like, what's
4: it known for? If, you know, if somebody opened an Australian restaurant, what on earth would they serve? Um, It's not. I, I would guess, you know, most, in fact, I think all of the major cities in Australia are on the coast. So I'm guessing seafood is probably a big
3: part of it. I'm looking up Australian food, 40, 40 dishes locals like to call their own. <laughs> My favorite part of this is the names for things. Um, they just, Australians call things really funny things. Eddy grubs. Okay. That's it's a sounds, bug. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds like insects. I'm not going there. Emu. They uh, eat a lot of strange animals. Emu, macadamia nuts. <laughs> Wheat Bix. <laughs> Look all these up. Oh, Lamington's. That's one of the things that I know. I don't like coconut, but it's beautiful. It's two layers of cake. Um, in the middle is like strawberry or raspberry, and it's covered in coconut. Ooh, okay. You can get them here. You can get them at, there's an Australian bakery in town that you can get them at. Lamb, calamari, fish and chips are a big deal. <laughs> There's nothing on here that's incredible. Two, two people in the text line back to back said,
4: "If you open an Australian restaurant, you're legally required to have a blooming onion." <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. Is Outback Steakhouse? That's the only other Australian thing we know.
3: Monty Franklin, again, the Australian uh, comedian that I laugh at, has a whole bit about that. Yeah. Like you tried to offend us by creating Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> we don't know blooming onion. That that's not a thing that we do. <laughs> Crocodile, they eat. Yeah. Vegemite on toast. Oh, kangaroo. That's what I had is on here. And that was really good. Um, hamburger is number one on oh, their boy. list yeah. of things that they, things that they eat. So how, how out there, how weird, uh, good on him for whatever he created. That was unique. Um, you need to, it. Oh, beetroot. They do beet. Yeah. Let me go squirrel for half a second. Sure. Beetroot. They do on everything. And it's a thing that they put on hamburgers. This is what they say in here. Yeah. I forgot about that. It's a piece of beets on top of a hamburger. I don't like beets either. I don't, um, I'm okay with it. It's just a weird combination.
4: I'm not a big fan of any of the violent vegetables, beets, squash, black eyed peas.
3: Don't like any of that stuff. (laughs) I had to follow that here for a second. Uh, Somebody (laughs) said emu is really good.
4: Okay. uh, I'll try it. Yeah. They said it's a red meat and tastes like steak. I'm assuming it's probably a lot like ostrich, which I have had. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with ostrich either.
3: Okay. Well, thanks to everybody for contributing here and getting in Um, there. I cannot think of it right now because my brain is fried, but there is an Australian bakery in town and it's South Plaza is one of them that if you want to go and try stuff, then they I'm sure would have that. We will go to New Zealand coming up next. Uh, What a town there is being told about a particular smell that they're having to deal with. Get to that coming up on KMBZ.